A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Leighton Hewitt, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. The tennis season is underway, the Australian Open is just a few short days away and the big names are already lining up to fight for the year's first big prize. Djokovic dominated Nadal in Doha, Missile Milos Rocket Raonic defeated Federer in Brisbane, Catherine's rolling her eyes at that one, Stan the Man won in Chennai and there were titles for Victoria Azarenka, Sloane Stephens and Agnieszka Radvanska but much of the chat was about injuries, illness on the WTA Tour and Catherine Whitaker and myself. David Laura here to talk about it in the Putney Exchange Centre. Catherine Whitaker, it's been a while since we've been here. Catherine, as I mentioned in the intro, you were rolling your eyes at my nickname for Milos. I just don't think he needs two nicknames. I think I think pick one and be done with it is what I think. I was quite proud of that. Uh, but anyway, that's enough of that. Catherine Whitaker uh, has hot-footed it from Doha. When did you arrive back? What was it like? I arrived back a mere 24 hours ago. It was very uh, desert-like, as I remember. Um, It was, I mean, I left, as everybody did, I think, just completely flabbergasted by what happened in the final. Most people were predicting a Djokovic victory. Definite smattering, more of a smattering than there would have been two months ago, six months ago, 12 months ago, picking Nadal. But most people expecting a contest and it was the most extraordinary whitewash I've ever seen really of two top level tennis in a match between two multiple Grand Slam champions It it had Nadal actually joshing with the crowd didn't it? I think somebody said something to him and he said, do you want to be my coach? Yeah and he referenced it in his speech and made another joke about it I mean that's the stage that it got to I mean he, he had to the, the the toe-curlingness of it, honestly, it was uncomfortable to watch. The toe-curlingness of the whole thing um, was so palpable that it, it he almost had to reference it because it was so palpable. You could feel just how uncomfortable it was, really. I, I think even the biggest Djokovic fan, watching a 14-time Grand Slam champion like Nadal get just taken to the cleaners like, like that was really uncomfortable viewing I thought as much as you were appreciating Djokovic you were just wanting to run onto the court and give Nadal a hug for goodness sake and while he was sitting there they held the closing ceremony which was quite something actually and a good idea really they had flamethrowers and 
a woman in an enormous sort of wedding dress on the court singing uh, a current pop song, which I can't even remember, probably didn't know the name of at the time. Um, they did this closing ceremony, but they did it before the trophy presentation. So poor Rafa was sat there looking like somebody had killed his dog. It, I mean, it really, his face, I'm sure it was in all the papers the next day, a photo of his face. The poor chap had to sit there through flamethrowers, having been humiliated, frankly. Well, at least, you know, if you're going to get beaten, at least you get a bit of a cabaret at the end of it, you know, get to enjoy that ringside. Um, but, you know, can you separate, if you're a Nadal fan, can you separate the, the ignominy of getting such a destruction with the fact that he'd had a pretty good week up until then and l- largely his fortunes have been improving of late? I think so. I think he played really, really well that uh, during the week, better than we've seen from him, perhaps with the exception of the O2, um, where he really did play well, but I think it's the best we've seen from him for a long time. And you almost need a, a, a control. You, to, for it to be a, a true um, reflection of where Nadal's at, you needed to see all the other top players play Novak Djokovic on that evening during that purple patch to see how they would have fared, because... I really am not sure anybody could have come close to him on uh, on Saturday, um, given how he was play, playing. Maybe Vavrinka in French Open final form, somebody that came out and just hit through him. But nobody's got the balls to do that just at the moment because he's just so imperious and intimidating. I mean, people must just be walking onto the court feeling defeated just at the mere sight of Novak Djokovic on the other side of the net. But just to return to Rafa, I think... Yes, there are positives, but if you're Rafa, just playing a little bit better than you were before is probably not enough. You're, he's already won 14 Grand Slams. If he's not going to be winning Grand Slam titles, what's the point? And yeah, but he th- still thinks he's going to win Grand Slam titles, doesn't he? He does, but I'm not sure anyone's going to be winning Grand Slam titles while Novak Djokovic is putting in performances like he did on Saturday. I think that's the problem. I think any any top player that watched that must have just had a good long hard think about it afterwards because it was frightening for any other top level player I I mean if I was Andy Murray or Roger Federer I'd be watching that going oh crikey I you know I, I, I hoped things would be different in 2016 but it seems like he's just charging forwards it's only one week Catherine Whitaker. it's only one week of the year it is, admittedly, now more than a calendar year since anybody uh, stopped Novak Djokovic getting to a final of a, of a tournament. And the frightening thought is that he's actually started this year better than he did last year. And look what he did last year. But the, the fact still remains, anything can happen within a couple of days. I mean, I, I would not wish injury on the guy. Of course I wouldn't. But that can happen. The, 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 the landscape can change so quickly. And, I mean, we, I think we've seen that... On a, on a micro scale with players like Kyrgios and Raonic who looked all at sea a few months ago and suddenly both of them are looking dangerous and okay, maybe not threatening Djokovic, I think Raonic has got a terrible record against him but you know, they, they look like different players again now. I think that's true and I also think nobody, Rafa Nadal included and I would actually put Rafa Nadal down as one of the biggest offenders of this, he didn't I mean, look Stan Wawrinka has created the template for beating Novak Djokovic, hasn't he? Yes, you have to play the match of your life. And yes, you know, everything else has to fall into place. But he's shown that the only way to go out and beat Novak Djokovic, you know, not 
all, all other things being equal, you know, not of course you might find them on an off day or whatever, and there might be a sandstorm, but provided you're meeting the real deal Novak Djokovic, you've got to just try and hit through him. You've got to try and bully him off the court. Now, Rafael Nadal on Saturday just didn't... I mean, he looked completely impotent. He didn't have the power on his shots. He wasn't hitting nearly flat enough. I watched him in practice, and he was hitting a really flat ball, and then he came out on the match court, and there was, you know... 30% 30% more spin on the ball than, than on the practice court. He's capable of hitting a flatter ball. And it was so clear that that loopy spin just wasn't getting the job done um, on Saturday. And he didn't change to plan B. So I think he hasn't faced anybody yet that's tried the Stan Wawrinka French Open final tactic. And, and yes, it's a long shot of somebody beating him, but there does exist that that pathway I suppose for somebody just to go out there and go do you know what? I'm just going to give it a go maybe a Nick Kyrgios some, I mean it's a brave tactic because if it goes wrong and it's not your day you are going to look an idiot. I think players have tried it I think certainly Andy Murray used it successfully when he beat Djokovic on that one occasion in the summer in the American hard courts he was able to hit out and, and dominate Djokovic in that way I think the problem is how can you sustain it for that long that's the big issue most players end up having um, do not fear Nadal fans there is a grand slam coming up he will he has the opportunity to prove himself we will find out whether he's able to do exactly that we mentioned Milos Raonic Catherine I mean that the performance he put in against admittedly a player that looked under the weather in Roger Federer I don't like to make excuses for players but he didn't look like himself physically out there he played well uh, throughout the week to get to the final good match with Dimitrov Grigor looked a bit good, and I won't start that. Um, but uh, why won't you start that? Well, you know, tell tell all the listeners all the all the texts you were sending me during that match, going, "Oh, look at this, Grigor's Grigor's looking looking good." And my response was, "We've seen him look good before. Getting a set or putting in a decent performance against a top player, it's not going to cut it with me anymore, Grigor. You've got to show me more." All right. Well, I'll put you right on the spot right now. Then I was going to save this for a bit later, but. Milos Raonic or Grigor Dimitrov? Who's going to win a Grand Slam first out of those two? Who's the most, most likely is Grigor Dimitrov ever going to win a Grand Slam? I've asked the listeners at Tennis Podcast, but first, let's hear from Catherine Whitaker, seeing as she's suddenly uh, doubting him at every turn. I have my doubts over whether either of them will, honestly. Um, but uh, I'm, at this stage, I'm going to go for Milos Raonic. He's got, the, he's got more focus. He's, got more, he's more determined to make the best of what he's got than Grigor Dimitrov is. Shall I tell you what the listeners have said? This is what the listeners have said. 439 votes uh, for the Grigor Dimitrov poll that I've been running at Tennis Podcast. 35% say yes, he will win a Grand Slam. 65% say no. Milos Raonic uh, had a a poll as well, run run about him. 38% say that he will. So he is 3% more likely in our listeners' views to win a Grand Slam title than Grigor Dimitrov. Well, vindication. I mean, uh, it's a a really, really tricky one, that. I mean, yes, we've seen one really good week from Milos Raonic, which, to be honest, has surprised me. I thought some of the decisions he made at the end of last season worried me a bit. They seemed a bit... Um, haphazard um, because yes he didn't have the best season last year but he had a really really problematic injury that foot injury that he just couldn't 
get rid of. So to see him sort of making knee-jerk sacking decisions... Hold on a minute. Do we know he sacked Ivan Lubicic, who turned straight up in Roger Federer's corner, or was it the other way around? We don't know. Do we? We don't know, but he may, he, he let go other members of, of his team, of his backroom back room staff that have a less visible presence. He, uh, he certainly you know, wanted to clean house and start 2016 afresh. I think that much is, is clear, and I think the appointment of Carlos Moyo confirms that. But, I mean, just at the moment, he's proving me wrong. So, you know, more for me. I don't need to say anything. Uh, now... Other tournaments, um, I think generally speaking, Roger Federer looked mostly as good as he ever has, hasn't he? I mean, okay, aside from having a bit of a flu bug, he looks absolutely fine. I think if he can steer, steer clear of injury and illness, we remember his disappointing loss to Andreas Seppi last year from his perspective. Seppi played well, but that is not a match that Roger Federer should be losing. You would, I, I think that most of the top players come in looking really good. I mean, Stan Wawrinka is, is on fire at the moment. And because he plays tournaments that are perhaps not getting as much TV time, he did really well in the IPTL. He, he ended the, the year well, and then he's come out straight away and won the title in Chennai. And still, you get the feeling that people don't talk about him as much as maybe they should be. Oh, for me, he's, you know, aside from Novak Djokovic, he's just a playing in a different sport to everybody else. Uh, for me, he's one of the favourites aside from... If, if, no, if, you know, something... If pigs start flying and Novak Djokovic doesn't win the Australian Open, for me, Stan Wawrinka is probably as near to a favourite as you, you can get, really. I'd put him right up there with Roger Federer and Andy Murray, although Andy Murray might not even stick around for the final. So, so there's... Explain yourself, Catherine. Well, he's made it quite quite clear in the press this week and good on him for making such a strong statement that um, should his uh, baby arrive earlier than expected which I believe is the beginning of February regardless of what stage he's at in the Australian Open he will return home for the birth my question mark over that is would you pull out mid-match in the final that's the big question you know two, two sets all one love in the fifth is he on a plane but how would he know? You can't receive coaching signals from your, your box, David. So I, mean, I think that would be cruel for somebody to c- convey that message to him during a match. I mean, my question mark over it is uh, you can't just click your fingers and be back from Australia, can you? Chances are, if she goes into labour while he's in Australia, he's not getting back in time, regardless of whether he drops everything and tries to make it. I mean, I hope for Kim's sake he doesn't make it back in time, because if he does... In that scenario, she's had a hell of a labour. <laughs> <laughs> well, believe me, it can happen a bit like that, uh, especially with the first one. Now, um, we should also say we've been talking about what might happen and who's looking good in the Australian Open and in the run-up. We will be making our Australian Open predictions in the pre-Australian Open episode of the Tennis Podcast. Catherine's shaking her head, looking as if she doesn't want any part of this, but she is going to have to take me on. She's going to have to take student Matt on, who runs our social media, our, ten- our Tennis Podcast Twitter. She's going to have to take producer Dave on who's going to be an entrance, entrant in that competition. And, of course, Simon Briggs from The Telegraph. We're going to try and rope him in as well to, to uh, humiliate him, hopefully. Catherine Whittaker, you're looking forward to that already, aren't you? don't think I'll be humiliating anybody. <laughs> Let's not put that on the record. Um, it's his self-flagellation, David. I don't know why we keep doing it to ourselves. But, uh... It's because what we do 
here on the Tennis Podcast is put our necks on the line with predictions, and you've just got to lump it, listeners. Sorry, that's the way it goes. Or you could not download us. Don't do that. Uh, the Tennis Podcast brought to you in association with The Telegraph and Catherine Whitaker. Meanwhile, Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times Well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. While tournaments have been going on in Auckland, Shenzhen, in Brisbane on the WTA side as well, how good did Victoria Azarenka look? I, I was covering the tournament for BT Sport and she looked in extraordinary shape. She looked strong, fit, fresh, dangerous, ready. And she won the tournament, beat Angelique Kerber in the final and was immediately installed as the second favourite even though she's ranked outside the world's top 20. That's an extraordinary um, odd to have against your name, a price to have against your name that you're the second favourite in that scenario. But she loves Australia. She really does love it down there. Both of her grandson titles have come there. Um, it was very unfortunate last year, her draw, she got Caroline Wozniacki in the, was it the second round? I was going to say third round, but I think it might even have been second round last year, which is just, I mean, and she found that all year, didn't she, being ranked uh, where she was. She's at least in the seedings now, just about. That'll help her a bit. It'll help her up until the third round I, I don't think that's unreasonable to put her up there among among the favourites especially um, bringing us beautifully on to our next conversation topic given how many if she's fit and healthy that immediately puts her head and shoulders above the rest doesn't it because the rest 
almost to a man or to a woman are struggling. How, how concerned would you be about the players that have had those injuries? We've seen Serena Williams pulled out of, she played part of a match in the Hotman Cup with a knee problem. We've had Gabinia Magarutha who pulled out mid-match. We had Maria Sharapova. I felt so sorry for Brisbane. They had Maria Sharapova and Simona Hallett pull out within an hour of one another without taking to the court. I mean, Sharapova... I feel for her because she's tried so many times to come back from injury. She missed it so much of last year, the latter part of last year. And then the left forearm problem that caused her to withdraw from the Wuhan tournament struck again. And then Simone Hallett pulled out with an Achilles issue as well. So which of those, I suppose the question is, which of those is precautionary? Which of those is likely to really stop them from competing and contending? And Petra Kvitova is another one who fell ill. I mean, the answer is I don't know. I mean, Serena's the one that has the biggest question mark over, over it to me. You, you were telling me um, just before we started recording that people seem to be quite concerned about that injury. But on the other hand, you have the fact that the Hotman Cup is just an exhibition. It's a very good exhibition event. It's a really good format and a good watch, but it is just an exhibition. She's not going to be taking any risks in order to play any matches there. Um, so I, I think it sort of remains to be seen a bit for Serena, I think my understanding is that Halep's, Halep's withdrawal was mostly precautionary. I think, given what, given Sharapova's medical history, I think we have to be a bit worried about her. And and I, I completely agree with you. I really feel for her. You know, I remember recounting on the tennis podcast seeing her crying in the corridors moments before she had to announce her withdrawal from the U.S. Open because she'd come there desperate having done everything she possibly could to try and be fit for that, having struggled throughout the summer, and just it came too soon. And now to have it again in uh, in an even year as well, which is one of her slam-winning years, as your, your theory uh, suggests, uh, is just dreadfully unlucky. So, And Kvitova, I, I've no idea. I, I, I know she's suffering, but how bad it is, it's just, we just don't know, do we? And Muguruza as well, ill. It's, it's um... injured actually in the case of Muguruza but uh, you know it, it is a concern and I, I think most of them will end up being able to have a week and be able to play but I wonder why it is that they get hurt why they get niggles I mean one of my theories is I know we often talk about off season not being long enough and players playing exhibitions and so forth I know that when I go on holiday right and I come back from a holiday and people then ask me to work hard in my silly job. My brain doesn't work anymore. It doesn't work properly. It's mush, right? And I kind of feel as though tennis players' bodies slightly go into mush and don't have the strength and core foundation and strength that they would normally have. That's my theory, Catherine Whitaker. I mean, neither of us are medical professionals, so <laughs> I'm not qualified to uh, certify that theory. But I certainly think there could be something to it, and I also think that sort of that gives a bit of weight to um, the policy of playing something like the Hotman Cup rather than a tournament like Doha or Brisbane. You know, yes, it's it's a really really good event. You're down in Australia. You're getting acclimatized more than acclimatized really because the conditions are even more extreme in Perth where they're frying eggs on the court every other day. Um you're down there, you're getting acclimatized, but at the end of the day it's not ranking points. It doesn't matter. You 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 it's okay for you not to be taking any risk with your body. Just that 1% in the back of your mind knowing you don't have to push yourself to your physical extremes. I think Maybe that 
makes a bit of a difference? I don't know. I mean, it's it's going to be very interesting to see whether anybody adjusts their schedule in light of in light of what's happened at the beginning of this this year. But I mean, this year is no different to any other. So it is a bit bizarre that this huge ec- epidemic seems to have hit so suddenly. Mind you, you do get a lot of injuries at this particular time of the year. I just wonder, based on the fact that you've talked about those exhibitions, one of them is Kuyong, isn't it, that they play this week, um, over the course of this week, leading up into the Australian Open. Is, is that an event you've ever been to? Because you've been to Australia a few times. I've been there. It's, it's really interesting because, of course, they used to play the Australian Open there uh, up until the mid to late 80s. I think it was 88, wasn't it, that moved into Flinders Park, as it was known then, Melbourne Park now, and the Rod Laver Arena, of course. But Kuyong is, you know, you can't honestly believe that a Grand Slam t- tournament used to be held in this, in this venue. It is gorgeous. It's, it's old-fashioned. It's a bit like the Queen's Club. It's, it's just got that lovely, real club feel to it, and you can feel the history. But the idea of, of what we see now, this international, commercial, global event with all the eyes on it, you can't quite tally the two together. And, of course, back then, the tournament just was not of the same level of importance as it is now. I was commentating with Joe Jury a few days ago, and she was telling me that she was reminding me about how they used to play the Australian Open. One year they played that in November. They played the Australian Open in November. That's right. Yeah, she played, you know, they started the year, she said, in uh, the United States and then finished it in Australia in November at the Australian Open. You're setting me up to uh, give you my favourite bit of trivia, my favourite bit of tennis trivia. I bust this out at every possible opportunity. 1988, the first year they moved it to Flinders slash Melbourne Park. Uh, that year, Mats Verlander won the title, creating uh, the record that is him being the first and the only player to have won the Australian Open on two different surfaces. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Catherine Whitaker here on the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph. And because Catherine is the trivia master, we've put out on Tennis Podcast Twitter uh, for our listeners to ask Catherine a couple of questions. And we've got here Aidan Kelly, who says, Who do you see, Catherine, having a higher end-of-year ranking, Bernard Tomic or Nick Kyrgios? Wow. Um, well, Bernard Tomic currently at 17, which is, he's slowly, quietly been creeping up there, hasn't he? I, I double-checked his ranking uh, before coming on air, and in my mind, he was around about the 20 mark, just outside the top 20, and I was, I was pleasantly surprised to see him around the 17 mark, because he's talented enough to be there, at least. Nick Kyrgios is even more talented, I think, but a completely unknown factor. But I think... Uh, Bernard Tomic is a bit injury prone and a bit prone to mental lapses. Not that Nick Kyrgios isn't prone to one or two of those himself, but I am going to say Nick Kyrgios because, you know, he's he's going to turn 21 in May. I think this could be the year that he really moves into the top 15. Possibly, you know, if he has an amazing run somewhere, 
could be top 10 by the end of the year. There was one of those little videos on Twitter the other day. I think they call them GIFs or something. You know, I'm, I'm 20 years too old to understand all this. But anyway, on Twitter, I saw this video of Nick Kyrgios' point where somebody hits this pile driver return at him and he just sort of stands there flat-footed and paddles it back up the court, just, just waves his arm as if he can't really be bothered. And then the player, looking a little bit bemused, hits the ball deep, straight back at him. Kyrgios jumps up into the air, two feet off the ground, and cracks this forehand winner down the line. It was just comedy. And I, I, I sent out a, a tweet saying, if you don't enjoy this, there's something wrong with you. Well, I'm, am I supposed to respond to that? You've done this as sticking the microphone under my nose thing as if there's... I mean, I think you've said it all. I, I mean, I agree. I have, I have my issues with some of his uh, attitudinal moments on the court, as I think everyone does, I think. He's been unequivocally in the wrong a number of times, but he's a tennis player at the end of the day, and if you take all that away from it, from it and just watch him play tennis, it is a joy, and it's something. It's a sort of joy that you don't get with too many players, so make the most of him. The other video I liked was the one of the massive great big cat who was supposed to be Djokovic taking on all comers and he's getting beaten up by this little cat and he just sort of waves his hand and just knocks him flying, which is basically what Djokovic is doing to everybody. Anyway, I won't even ask Catherine where to go about that because she's looking at me with utter disdain. But anyway, look that one up if you can. Here on the Tennis Podcast, we're going to talk about one more thing before we go. Uh, that is a question from Kyle Edmund fans. Incidentally, Kyle Edmund did all right, didn't he? Quarterfinals, the bloke who won tie-break tens, beating Andy Murray in the final at the Royal Albert Hall, got himself $250,000, went on to reach the quarterfinals in Doha. Looked all right. He looked very good. Definitely a big step up from him. It was very evident in all the matches what he's worked so hard on, you know, the strength, the movement, the weight of shot. But um, And he acquitted himself very well against Thomas Burdick in Burdick. Burdick. I'm reliably informed it's Burdick. Um, he acquitted himself extremely well, and the golf wasn't enormous. He had chances, but it just shows, you know, that that five percent difference is is everything. It's everything in the in the top 100. Um, I spoke to a number of people after that match, and they they I mean, it it, it was basically a, a lesson for Kyle Edmund in everything he needs to improve. I interviewed him after the match and you could see his mind wearing. Yes, he was a bit disappointed, but more than that, he was just so eager and desperate to just sit down. And I could imagine him just sort of making notes afterwards of everything he'd learned and realised he needed to improve on. And I think it was it was a particularly good matchup for him because Thomas Burdick is the same type of player as him. He's just got an extra 15 miles per hour on his serve and on his forehand and, you know, just that bit more strength and that bit more variety. So I think it was a perfect match for him to have played at this stage of his career. Anyway, sorry, Kyle Edmund fans was asking, do you think Federer will win the Olympic singles gold in Rio and do you think it's his last chance? Well, I think it is his last chance, isn't it? I mean, the guy's going to be about 48 by the time the next Olympics comes around. It's his last chance, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think he probably wants it more than anybody because it's the only tick he doesn't have. He's got the doubles title with Stan Wawrinka and I'm sure he cherishes that, but it's a tick he doesn't currently have in the box and there aren't many of those, Roger Federer. Um, So I think he will dearly want it. Um, I mean, I'm not putting anybody that is no... other than Novak Djokovic as a favourite to win any event just at the moment. So, no, I'm not going to say I think he will win it. But uh, he'll have as good a chance as anybody that's not Novak Djokovic. OK, 
Catherine Whittaker uh, sitting firmly on the fence uh, here on the Tennis Podcast. I think that is just about a wrap for today here on the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph. We will be returning just before the Australian Open gets underway. Once we know the draws, we'll be doing our predictions. Do make sure you tune in then. Thank you for your company today. Do review us on iTunes. Download us. Tell everybody you know about us. We enjoy talking to you. We hope you enjoy listening to us. Hold on, hold on. We've forgotten something, Catherine. Andy Murray's just told us that he's going for a fifth title at the Aegon Championships at the Queen's Club in June. Nobody's done that in the 125-year history of the tournament. McEnroe, Becker, Roddick, Hewitt, Roy Emerson, Anthony Fielding, Major Ritchie. They're the only other players that have won it four times. Let's hear what Murray thinks about it. If I could would win it a third time, would be would be amazing. Um, I played some of my best tennis there over the years. Um, I don't know exactly why that is, but I, I do enjoy the tournament. And although I, I think I've won it like every two years, and then on the other years I've not played so well. So hopefully I can break that that streak this year. One of the nice things about the tournament is that it's at a club. You don't get that um, you know much throughout the the year. So. You know, I've spent a lot of time there during the year practicing and training, so I know the, the club very well. Um, they obviously have you know a lot of the members there, and I've played there must be about 10, 11 years in a row now, and it's just it's it's a great event. They get really good crowds. The courts are fantastic. I know a few of the groundsmen quite well, and you know they put a lot of hard work and effort into to getting the courts perfect and. Um, it's just great, great conditions to play tennis, really. So there you have it, Andy Murray going for five titles at the Aegon Championships at the Queen's Club in June. But first of all, he's off to Melbourne for the Australian Open. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.